Over the past few months, the way we do everything has changed, including our workouts. Gyms and fitness centers closed their doors, leaving us this perfect excuse to pause our memberships. And while I'm sure some of you have kept training for those marathons, for an indoor cat like me, I quickly took to the more sedentary life. Binging Netflix, mixing up mocktails with my kids, cooking up large pots of delicious foods. And while the coziness gave me this certain type of comfort in these stressed times, it hasn't done wonders for my paunch. So I've been trying to figure out how to slip a little exercise into my world. And how do I do it without it feeling like a chore? Lucky for me, I've heard that gardening can be a great substitution for spin classes. Or that breakdance class Ruby keeps trying to convince me to take. Anu, come on, come on, let's do a breakdancing class. <laughs> Plus, the commute to my backyard? It feels like one I can manage. Hey there, I'm Mangesh Hatikler, a co-host of Part-Time Genius, one of the co-founders of Mental Floss, and this is Humans Growing Stuff, a collaboration from iHeartRadio and your friends at miracle Grow. My goal is to make this the most human show about plants you'll ever listen to. And along the way, we'll share sweet, inspiring stories, tips and tricks to nurture your plant addiction, and just enough science to make you sound like an expert. In today's episode, we're examining gardening as a form of exercise, from targeting specific muscle groups to burning calories to stretching your body. So put down your kettlebells and pick up that shovel. We're about to get fiddle leaf fit. Chapter 8. Growing Plants and Muscles As a kid, just bouncing a basketball on the driveway was like a bat signal in my neighborhood. You'd go onto your driveway, dribble the ball around a little, and suddenly you'd see window shades part. Little eyes would peer out, and any kid who could sneak away from their homework or their chores would show up to play. And in an instant, games would just materialize. Weirdly enough, that isn't how it is as a 40-year-old. I can sit on my stoop with a soccer ball or dribble a basketball on the sidewalk, and no one my age is running over to play. The truth is, unless there's a game involved, I'm a little lazy about going to the gym. But there's something wonderful about incidental exercise. If I happen to get fit from doing things I want to do anyway, well, I'm all for it. And it turns out gardening can be just that. You didn't hear this from our conversation last week, but when I was chatting with Jim Gaffigan, the comedian and writer and actor, he told me about how gardening has actually helped him achieve fitness goals on his Apple Watch. I have an Apple Watch. Uh, me mentioning it on this podcast, they should send me a new one. Um, <laughs> which keeps track of energy burned and calories burned and all that. And when I was doing gardening... I was burning a lot of calories, but I thought what was really kind of weird was at one point I kind of injured myself. And I was like, am I the first person to ever get injured gardening? Do you know, mm-hmm. It's like, it's like really, how'd you get injured? Well, I was running a marathon. How'd you get injured? But I was, I was trying to plant some tulips. And, uh, <laughs> it's, but yeah, yeah I mean, my heart first. rate, uh, I do reach some of my fitness goals by gardening, which is great. And it gets you outside, so you get the vitamin D and all that stuff. So there is some exercise value in it. Jim's right. Over the course of this series, I've read that gardening is good for the body. 
In just a couple of hours, you can burn 200 to 600 calories through a mix of work. And that's because gardening is a whole body exercise that impacts large muscle groups like your legs, back, shoulder, abs. Tasks like mowing and raking leaves are more intensive and have a better payoff, increasing your heart rate with repeated rhythm of activity. But smaller tasks, things like pruning, that targets smaller muscles like deltoids in the upper and lower trapezius. Or delts and traps for all you gym rats out there. So much of being a busy working adult is managing your time. And I think sometimes, for me at least, I get caught up in the idea that fitness or working out has to be a separate activity entirely. That if it isn't an hour of focused exercise distant from my family, it doesn't count. But clearly the opposite can be true. I want to dig deeper into this idea, so I called up Annie Daly. She's a Brooklyn-based journalist and the author of a new book, Destination Wellness. In it, she explores various health and well-being practices from across the world. But I wanted to ask Annie specifically about her article in Women's Health. Does gardening really count as exercise? And learn more about what her reporting uncovered. Hey, Annie. Hey, how's it going? It's nice to be chatting with you. You too. So I've been reading your upcoming book, and I am fascinated by this idea that we're obsessed with fancy gym memberships and trendy workout classes, but in reality, wellness is all around us. Can you tell me a little bit about what you've learned? Sure. You know, as a journalist, you get sent all of these products all the time, and it was one of those things where I realized that wellness is not really about all these products. It's not really something that you can buy. It's more something that lives within you. And I am also a travel journalist. And so I've been doing all this traveling around the world. And I noticed that this whole commercial wellness culture isn't really like that in other places in the world. They don't have these insane, crazy boutique fitness classes, and they don't have these you know, expensive smoothies and all the lotions and the potions and the powders and the tinctures. It's it's more just baked into the general way of living. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of adopted that belief for myself and tried to live that way in New York where it's harder to do because you're surrounded and just inundated by all of this stuff. But once you realize that it's not really about that, it's easier to just get back to the basics and get back to a more simple way of going about your day in a healthy way. I mean, it's pretty easy to do. It's like walk outside, eat simple, healthy foods, hang out with your friends. Social connection and communication is a huge part of all of this. Yeah. So it's really just about getting back to the basics. And we've just gotten so far away from that. But once you're conscious about it, it's actually easier than you think to sort of adjust your lifestyle. So I saw that you'd written a piece a while back on um, houseplants that are easy to take care of. And I, I was curious, are gardening or, or taking care of plants a, a part of your sort of wellness practices? Oh, for sure. I definitely am a plant mom, a member of plant parenthood, <laughs> all of those <laughs> plant jokes. That's definitely me. My <laughs> I think at one point in my, I think in my Twitter bio or some social media bio I had that I live at home with my husband and our 15 houseplants. Yeah. Um, because that's the thing is that you have to think of them as living, 
breathing things. They take a lot of work to make sure that they stay healthy and strong. And I'm always thinking about watering them. Our living room is an absolute jungle. Another thing that I talk about in my book, actually, is when you plant a seed and watch it grow, that actually watching something grow from nothing into something just reminds you so much of your connection to Mother Earth. Mm. And then when you're reminded of that connection, it just strengthens your mental health overall because you know that you're part of something so much bigger than yourself. And that's different from just watering your plants. I'm talking about actually like planting a seed, like growing something as opposed to just keeping something going. Yeah, that's really beautiful. You know, what? one of the things that we've been talking a lot about is just how surprised we are that gardening is talked about as exercise. And and you've actually written a piece on this, uh, kind of questioning whether or not gardening is exercise. Would you talk a little bit about your findings there? Oh, sure. So that piece, I believe I wrote it for women's health. And I used to write these stories about the studies that had just come out. And so this piece was a study that had just come out from South Korea. And essentially, researchers had they had given a bunch of trackers to college-age students and told them to perform all of these various gardening tasks. Mm-hmm. And then they measured them at the end, and they found that the tasks that they had asked them to do actually did qualify as moderate to high-intensity physical activity. So the task that came in as the highest intensity was digging, and then the other tasks that they asked them to do were raking, weeding, mulching, hoeing, sowing, harvesting, watering, mixing. And then the lowest intensity one was planting transplants of other plants. Uh I think that the overall theme of that study is that these are things that people don't necessarily think of as quote unquote exercise in the way that a lot of people think of exercise today, getting back to the boutique fitness studio trend. Yeah. But that These are all things that are so baked into your day that if you just go about your day in a more natural way, then these things get worked into your day and you're exercising essentially without even thinking about it or without even doing it so intentionally. What can we do that that sort of mimics a regular workout routine out there? Is there anything that you think of that that specifically sort of mimics uh, what what we do in a a fitness class? In terms of gardening. I mean, I honestly think that so much is just being out there. I think that we tend to focus on the physical aspects a lot in our society. And yes, while we're gardening, like maybe you could do some extra digging since that study found that digging was (laughs) the, (laughs) it was the thing that was found to be the most, the highest intensity workout. But Uh I don't know, I feel a little bit weird about giving that as my advice, just because that seems to be a little bit of a tree for the forest, but I tend to go for the forest more. And I would just say that getting out there and recognizing your connection to nature and gardening is such a great way to help you do that. And actually planting something is just such a big, huge, and easy way to remember that you're a part of this natural life cycle and you're a part of something so much bigger than yourself. And I know that this is just taking it and like turning it into a much headier thing than just like, oh, 
rake for 30 seconds. It will help you burn <laughs> calories. But sure. I just, I don't know. I'm not, I, I just can't really subscribe to that idea as much as I can to the fact that gardening is such an easy and primal way to remind you of your connection to the bigger universe. If you go into gardening and you try to think of it like, I'm only doing this so that I can burn like TKXX amount of calories so that I can then go have that thing. It's like, you're missing the point. Just, it's so important to me to remember that these are things that have been around for generations. Think of the Hawaiians. They have always taken care to respect their relationship to mother earth. The Rastas in Jamaica, they believe that planting something reminds you of your connection to the your greater whole. It's like these things, these are so deeply ingrained in our history. Annie, thank you so much for being here. I, I really appreciated our conversation. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Now I feel like I need to go water my plants. <laughs> <laughs> Gardening, like any form of exercise, can be intense and take a toll on the body. And in the heat of the moment, it's hard to remember to keep your back straight like your mom always told you and to hoe with your legs, which I'm sure she also said. Here are four quick tips to make sure you don't tweak your back or get sidelined for the whole harvest. One. Stretch it out. Like any physical activity, the keys to avoiding injury are to stretch beforehand and maintain your posture while doing so. Warm up before you get out there for five to 10 minutes. Touch your toes or give it your best shot. Stretch your calves and hips to make sure your body feels loose and limber. And do that before you pick up that shovel. Two. Use your knees. Bend your knees and keep your back as straight as you can while lifting anything heavy. If you're going to be dumping big bags of soil or mulch to and from your yard, you absolutely have to use your legs. And keep the weight close to your body. If you try to use your back alone or hold heavy objects away from your body, you put more pressure on your shoulders and back, which can lead to injury. Three. Don't arch your back. If you need to reach something far from you, move closer to it and squat down. Arching your back puts your body in a compromised position and the movements you make can cause strain. Pace yourself, stay hydrated and take lots of breaks. If you feel sore, tired or in pain, take a load off and sit down. Your garden's not going anywhere. The worst thing you can do is push through a muscle ache. It can lead to greater damage and to a longer recovery period. Humans Growing Stuff will be right back after a short break. As a lot of us find ways we can work out in and around our home, I've noticed that a lot of my friends have ditched those heavy weights for a yoga mat, which makes a lot of sense given the time we find ourselves in. And that's because yoga is as much about the connection of mind and body as it is about sweating out last night's pints of beer or ice cream. Your breathing aligns your body and mind in ways that contribute to your body's well-being. And it creates a calmness in your thoughts, which is basically what gardening does for me. But what if you can double dip and find extra peace and tranquility by grounding your yoga practice in the garden? From what I've read, garden yoga can create a more positive, fulfilling connection to all the work you've done in the yard while challenging your body in new ways. That uneven terrain can help you push through your yoga plateaus and it can create a new challenge in your practice. 
And instead of listening to a playlist of ambient nature sounds, you get to listen to the sounds of real nature in person. Plus, all those stretches can help you strengthen muscle groups, like your core, to make you less prone to gardening injuries later. I want to learn more about this partnership of yoga and gardening, so I want to call up Naomi Anand. Naomi wrote the book Yoga, A Manual for Life, and she's the founder of Yoga on the Lane in East London. She's also hosted a virtual practice for the Royal Horticultural Society called Yoga for Gardeners. Hi, Naomi. Hi, Mangesh. How are you? Doing so well. So this is very much a gardening show, but we try to make it as human as possible. And I was curious, what are some of the changes you've seen in your students when they practice yoga? Oh, wow. Yeah. I notice shifts very quickly because once you decide to do yoga, the thing that I think is quite curious about this is it often takes people, I'd say on average, like two years of thinking about doing yoga before they turn up in a class. (laughs) (laughs) It's a long lead time. (laughs) It's a long lead time. You know, it's been on their New Year's resolutions for a while and then (laughs) another year passes and then they just kind of lose their nerve. Um, So when people do finally show up, one of the things that I notice is they really show up and uh-huh. you know, that's, that's the willingness is a huge part of the practice. Um, and then I just kind of guide them through hopefully accessible ways to access their bodies and you know, they, they relax. I mean, it's really, it's really nice to see people relaxing. That's, that's the thing that I love more than anything. And just to remind them that resting takes practice Um, And I think that's something that isn't necessarily taught in our school systems and really discussed, never really discussed. And it's a huge part of being alive. It's a huge part of where, you know, our our immune system is, is really banking on us resting, not just Mm -hmm. doing, doing, doing. Yeah. So I notice people, their nervous systems over time, but are just much more elastic. You know, they're able to bring themselves back, um, that they do experience all the normal varied emotions, which are really important, you know, anger and frustration and all these things as well, but they're able to bring themselves back to their kind of baseline, steady breath, you know, a little bit quicker. So yeah, I, I see that happen in people's lives as well as on the yoga mat. Do you feel that there's a connection between yoga and nature? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, when I meditate, it very much shifts the way that I see the world in that when I close my eyes and I sense into my body and I'm breathing into my body, my inner landscape is hugely, it's vast and it's diverse. And, you know, when I reopen my eyes and I look into a green space, I can see more. I think, Hmm. Um, it shifts how heightened your senses are. So sense of smell, taste, um, touch, how you see. You know, there are so many poses in yoga that are named after plants and animals. Do you feel a difference when you're doing these poses surrounded by real nature? Like what's it feel like to do a tree pose when you're surrounded by actual trees? Oh my goodness, it certainly does. If you're in a in a tree pose and your hands are on your chest and then you're reaching up and you're feeling the you know that wide open sky above you and the ground beneath you, it's it's very 
it's, it's very transforming actually you know you suddenly you feel like you're more than just a body that you're part of this fantastic mystery who knows what on earth are we doing here <laughs> you know and you reach up to the sky and you feel the ground beneath your feet and you feel like there's some kind of yeah there's some kind of connection with it all rather than just moving around like a, a pedestrian which is what we do most of the time so yeah I think strip and feeling more animal that's certainly in you know, Mary Oliver the beloved poet she's amazing um, she talks about like the soft animal of your body. And I think it's in the summer's day poem. And um, I love this idea of like tuning into the soft animal of your body. So, you know, when you're in down with dog, <laughs> it's like the softness of it rather than like rigid, again, pedestrian, human, <laughs> stiff man, <laughs> that you can actually feel some like juice in your joints. I don't know if that m- makes sense, but it really speaks, those words really speak to me. And I think about that a lot when I'm practicing. I love that. You know, we noticed on Instagram that you have a lot of plants both at Yoga on the Lane and in your own home. And we were wondering, how does caring for plants impact your health? Well, hugely, hugely. And people, when we when we put the plants into Yoga on the Lane, the response was amazing. You know, people really hmm. noticed, and particularly those plants that kind of filter, like the lilies, um, the peace lilies. And uh, we've got a passion fruit vine growing up the window and just it, you know, it really put a smile on people's faces. Um, so yeah, I mean, taking care of them is, is lovely. The studio is very much a collective responsibility. So we have Mm. an amazing team of people that are kind of in and out of the space and we all give the plants quite a lot of love, but yeah, I have, I have a fair amount of plants at home and also we have a garden and, we actually pulled up some Jerusalem artichokes yesterday, which was oh wow! <laughs> but just to get my hands in the soil and to like pull with all my might these beautiful, like big, like knuckle shaped vegetables out of the ground, and then like <laughs> roast them in loads of butter. I was like, this is so good for my mental health. It is joyous. Yeah, I'm curious about what's in your garden besides the Jerusalem artichokes. What what <laughs> uh, what do you enjoy from gardening? <laughs> So we have, we've inherited a garden in that, you know, the people that we bought our house off, but we have a um, really amazing little cherry tree, which oh, wow. brings a lot of joy every spring. So my kids, yeah, I mean, we picked uh, over a hundred cherries this year, really juicy. We also have um, <laughs> a plum tree and I'm sort of chuckling because last year it seemed to be an apricot tree so it has some like (laughs) identity issues Um, but we don't mind whether it's plums or apricots we're delighted um and then uh we grew peas with the kids this year we've got rosemary and um, sage basil and then in terms of flowers we've got things in pots that we've done like camellias and cosmos and um like little daisies in our front garden when people walk past on our sort of fairly busy hackney street they're always asking what is this what is this because it's a real show-off of a plant it's an acanthus i don't know know what that is it's um it's like a medieval plant and (laughs) i'm sure it's got some medicinal quality you know i bet it i bet it goes back um Um, i don't know the origins of it but it's really it's got these big lush green leaves and then quite spiky kind of like tendrils with seeds in the middle it's really it's 
look it up. It's a real show off. Yeah. Really <laughs> I love the idea of a medieval show off. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. What kind of yoga poses would you recommend for gardeners? So mainly, um, I notice, particularly with friends who garden even more than me, is just this tension, and, and for my mom as well, who gardens a lot, this tension around the shoulders, the upper back, um, even quite a lot of jaw clenching, you know. Mm. Um, so all of, all of that hunched over, bending forwards, and then kind of a, not too much consideration to the upper back, shoulders, and jaw. So I wanted to, to work a little bit on that because of the role that those areas play in the nervous system as well in terms mm. of how we breathe and feel better in ourselves. Why do you think gardeners clench their jaws so much? I think it's just a concentration thing mm. because it's obviously they're having fun. They're yeah. enjoying it, you know, they're out in the garden. But also, I mean, this is just me speculating, but perhaps when we're doing things that relax us, it's where our mind has an opportunity to process some of the difficult things in our lives. Mm. And, um, you know, garden gardening, I guess like, you know, practicing yoga is a bit of a moving meditation. It's a place where you can kind of release some stuff, but in sort of releasing, discharging some of that stuff, I think there's a, a display of tension sometimes. Also the tools in the way that you, if you're using tools, you know, the way you grip and clench your hand and the, the role that has plays mm. on the rest of the arm and the upper back. So it's this kind of matrix, our body is made up of not just bones and muscles, but also of tissues, connective tissues, of which there are many. What are some of the benefits of doing yoga as a way for recovery from a day's work in the garden? Yeah. So I think one of the first things to mention is the asymmetry. So you're mm. working very much with this bias of your strong side, you know, always working with that, you know, strong arm, strong leg, standing with the strong foot in front. Um, so I think just bringing your body into a little bit of natural balance, and that's not to suggest that you should be symmetrical because none of us are. Nobody is symmetrical inside out. Um, so it's not to get obsessed with that, but it's just to bring maybe a bit of effort to that side of your body that you haven't worked all day. And then perhaps to release and stretch the side of your body that you have worked. Um, and then I guess the other things I'd say is, you know, just in terms of your muscles being tight, um, you know, the first thing I think people do is when their muscles are tight, they immediately go into the muscle and try to stretch it mm -hmm. or they poke the body in a way to kind of like really deeply release it. Sure. Um, so often I'll hear sort of friends who have like done a day on their allotment and then they'll go and get a massage and, Actually, what's happened is the, the therapist might have really gone in so strong so that their body is left more inflamed than, than it feels mm -hmm. nourished and hydrated. So I think yoga is that really lovely way of accessing the body in a much more kind, um, considered way because you decide how deep you go. And then also just to bring some awareness to your breath. You know, you might have been concentrating and holding your breath a little bit. So, so mm -hmm. release your diaphragm. And um, side bends can really help with that. I love side bends. In yeah, fact, Mangesh, we should do one. We should do a side bend. Do you want to do one? Sitting down? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so if you if you bring your hands to your elbows, uh -huh. stretch your arms up over your head, uh -huh. 
and then breathe in like you're trying to reach your elbows up towards the ceiling and then bend over to your right. And then as you bend over to the right, breathe into the left side of your body, almost like you're trying to breathe into your left lung. Of course, we're still breathing into both lungs, but the emphasis is on the left side. And as you do this, just noticing the quality of the stretch down the left side of your body. Just do a mini one and then come back to the center and change the cross of your arms. Breathe in, reach up. And then bend over to the left side. And you might be struck at how different it feels, but try to be with the difference without judgment. Breathing up and down the right side of the body. And then inhale, come back up. And exhale, release your arms down. Feels good, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, it feels really good. Yeah, side bending so good because the lateral flexion of the spine is really important. And in gardening, so much of the emphasis is on forward bending, forward bending. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I feel like I don't, I don't take the time or, or think about stretching enough, but it always feels so good to do it. Yeah, it does feel good. And I, and I think that was part of trying to, to write a book that people could be with on their own times in their own, on their own terms was about su- suggesting that yoga doesn't need to be this big, long hour thing that then you're relying on a yoga teacher for, that it can be something small and it can be frequent. This sort of idea of a micro habit, I think is really popular in neuroscience right now, but it really applies in yoga too. These small changes make such a big difference. Mm-hmm. Often the sort of deeper practices are about doing less, listening more. You know, some of, sometimes my yoga practice is literally lying down on my back, doing a few tiny little wiggles or stretches or rolling on a ball and then resting. Naomi, thank you so much for leading me through that stretch and giving me all these answers. And it's been such a pleasure just chatting with you. It's been really lovely to talk to you, Mangesh. Thank you so much for having me. All right, you gardening guys and gals, welcome to Fitness by Molly, the only audio exercise routine that works your glutes as much as it works your garden. I'm your favorite podcast producer slash gardening fitness instructor, Molly. And today we're doing a weeding circuit workout. We're going to get rid of those weeds and we're going to get your heart rate up. All right, now let's start out by moving your head slowly side to side. Take in that backyard and get excited about the planting possibilities. Now slowly look up and down. Look out for those birds above and those bugs below. You can say hello and then tell them to kindly stay out of your vegetable garden. And next up, let's do some twists with your torso, like you're the trunk of a braided money tree. Woo! Now that we're nice and loose, it is time to dig. Digging up those nasty weeds. Get your favorite shovel or trowel and start digging. Aim for around the weeds so that we're not just tearing those garden invaders out at the stems. Look at you go. Getting stiff, that means it's time to switch sides. Move that trowel to your less dominant hand. This may feel a little awkward at first, but it'll give your non-dominant shoulders and arms the same workout as your dominant side. Keep going. You've got this. 
Yeah! It's all about balance. This is a workout for the body and the mind. Now we're done digging and it is time to pull those weeds. Okay, now squat down. That's right, that's right. Keep that back as straight as a corn stalk and pull those weeds. Look at you! And now dump each clump of weeds into a paper yard waste bag and do not arch that back. Okay, now this is the last thing. We are almost done. We are going to take that yard waste and we're going to dump it over into those compost bins. Use your legs and push yourself up off the ground. Don't bend at the back. Now hold on to those yard waste bags close to your chest. Love that future mulch and all that it will do. And now walk over slowly. This is a cool down. There you go, feeling cool, feeling good. And that is it, you are done. You are a gardening fitness pro. That was Fitness with Molly. See you next time when we'll be doing finger exercises for pruning those rose bushes. A few weeks ago, someone asked me which of my plants brings me the most joy. And it's a funny question to ask because I don't have that many plants. But I was surprised by how quickly I blurted out an answer. Of all the plants in our little apartment, My Monstera is the one that's the most fun and unruly and wild, and it just makes me smile. But I'm also impressed with its coping strategy. One of my favorite facts about Monsteras is that when they're in dark rooms, they grow towards that darkness. It's a phenomena called negative phototropism, and there's a reason the Monstera does this. In tropical places, the darkness indicates the presence of a larger tree. So the plant assumes if it leans into that darkness, it can wind itself up around the trunk of something bigger to eventually reach the sunlight. It's an incredible fact, but I think there's a sort of lesson there too. This last year has been all sorts of anxiety making. From an endless quarantine to forest fires to protests in the face of social injustice, it's all felt so dark. And when Naomi mentioned seeing so many students come in with clenched jaws, that's immediately what I thought about, that we've kept our jaws clenched for so long. But I imagine, just like the Monstera, there's a way to keep your head down and lean into that darkness, and trust light will come. People often ask me, why did I do a gardening show? As Ruby told you, I've killed lots of plants, but... As quarantine hit, I needed the distraction. I started the gardening because it felt fun, it was something I wanted to get better at, and because I had this familial connection to it. But I don't think I realized how much I'd be moved by this show. When I heard that kids in Ohio at the Highland Youth Garden treated their little patch of garden like this oasis, and that when they weren't chasing snakes and butterflies, they were reading beneath these sunflowers, our show stocked their little library with books. When I heard how the Bronx Green Up brings communities together, I not only looked for a local garden to join, but we bought a bunch of their hot sauce. Because if buying hot sauce is a way to support communities, I'm all for it. 
when I heard how the Sankofa Farms works with high schoolers to not only teach them science, but also lease beehives, I splurged to get a share of honey from them. Because I like honey, but I can't wait to tell their story. It sounds like we have so much money to spend, but we don't. I just love how the people on the show are doing so many things for kids, for farmers, for the hungry, for their neighbors, for friends. How every one of them is sharing knowledge and using growing to make the world a little better. Over the course of eight weeks, we talked to so many authors and activists. There are so many farms and gardens that I now feel like I have to visit. And so many new friends I hope will ring me up when they come to New York City. Just so we can visit a nursery together. But this show ended up doing a lot for me too. Over the course of the season, my jaw relaxed a little. I'm not suddenly fit from gardening, but being out in the yard, stretching as I prune and plant, it feels so good. I've witnessed the magic of watching things sprout from nothing, a pile of dirt turning into something you can water and be so proud of. I forced my kiddos to hang out with me and convinced my wife to seed our living room to 12 or 13 plant friends, and I've gotten to write a lot of bad poetry, which also feels good for the soul. But perhaps the best thing I've gotten to hear is all the stories. And not just for my guests. Suddenly people want to tell me their ridiculous tales from the backyard. About squirrels and yonkers who've developed a taste for cherry tomatoes. Or how someone's kid got so obsessed with gardening, he'd walk into his parents' Zoom meetings with giant buckets of water just splashing all over the floor, announcing it was time to water the plants. Or how someone spotted a lemon tree in a sacred site in Jerusalem and then brought those seeds back to plant in his grandmother's yard. So many countries away. And how those lemons that grow there are now infused with so much meaning. Somehow, in some very hard times, I told you a few stories about the plants I've killed. And return, I've gotten stories of humans growing hope, humans growing kindness, humans growing community, growing love and laughter, and also green beans. Humans growing stuff. I'm Mange Shatigadar. Thank you so much for listening. That's it for today's episode. Don't forget, whether you're a beginner like me, a pro trying something new, or someone in between enjoying your community garden, there are incredible resources waiting for you on the Miracle Grow website. We'll be back next year for season two of Humans Growing Stuff, so don't forget to check back for more updates about the new season and for new episodes. Our show is written and produced by Molly Sosha and me, Mungesh Atikler, in partnership with Ryan Ovedia, Daniel Ainsworth, Haley Erickson, and Garrett Shannon of Banter. Till next time, thanks so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>